Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. So welcome, Jacob. It's exciting to connect with you in our new season. That's cool. Thank you for having me. You know, it's great to connect with people who are willing to share their stories because that can be a very vulnerable space for folks. And I just appreciate you so much taking the time to share with us your journey. Yeah, of course. So how about you start by just sharing a little bit about your diagnosis and how you even came to find HSCT? Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed in the maybe the 10th day of January uh, 2018. My symptoms had started before that. My legs started going numb. I started having like just like cognitive issues mm. that that were uh, like really weird. My legs were going numb and I started to like, I was actually being treated uh, with, they were giving me prednisone to see if that would help with the leg numbness that didn't do anything. And so they sent me to a uh, spine doctor who like was putting lifts in my shoes and everything. And then I was seeing a neurologist cause I was having, I thought I was having carpal tunnel, which was actually an MS symptom uh, it wasn't carpal tunnel. It was just something else like pressure in my wrist. And the neurologist was going to do a test for that. And then the spine doctor suggested I do uh, tell her about the numbness. And then I got an MRI and then I was diagnosed. Interesting. It was, so yeah, like what was your numbness like? Was it just that deadening feeling or was it some tingling sensation? It's, like, you know, when your foot falls asleep? Yes. It's basically like that. It still happens to this day. It's it's a little bit less than it was, but yeah, it's basically like my right leg went numb and then my left leg went numb and it it base it, it causes like mobility problems and whatnot. Mm, sure. But it's like basically just like my legs are asleep. It's very obnoxious. Well, it is. And it's one of those it's so hard to describe to people. I mean, especially if there are the pins and needles like Yeah when your leg falls asleep and it's waking up and then all the blood is rushing and it's pins and needles and then it goes away. Yeah. Except Mine's actually it doesn't just, go away. It doesn't go away <laughs> ever. It's, it's fascinating. Um, when that, uh, when I told the neurologist that, uh, I saw the order for the MRI and it had a brain scan on there. And so they were supposed to give me my results in like a month after I did the MRI, but they called me the same day that I had the MRI and said, Hey, can you come in tomorrow? We need to talk about your results. So I assumed I had like a brain tumor or something. Well, yeah. How did that feel? Uh, it was really weird. I spent, I spent like the whole evening, like basically I was like, Oh, I'm going to be given a death sentence tomorrow. Right. So I had to come to terms with the concept of my own death, which was weird. It's, and it feels like a weird thing to say, but I, I was like, 
was like, all right, I'm going to go in whatever they say. I guess that's what happens. And then she told me I had MS and I was like, what is MS even like, cause I didn't know what it was right. like the only, my only reference to MS was that, uh, that TV, uh, that TV show host Montel Williams, I believe. Sure. Like that was the only thing, but I didn't know what MS was. Sure. And it is, it's interesting how common that experience is for those of us even waiting, right, to connect with a doctor and having that conversation and reconciliation with ourselves about like, oh, am I going to die? Yeah, it the symptoms feel like something much different than it actually is. Absolutely. And then I'm sure the doctor points you to research or pamphlets to look at and consider. Yeah. So my, the neurologist who diagnosed me, she was like, she's like, well, there's four kinds of MS. And to find out what kind you have, I have to do a spinal tap. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, and I've, I've talked to other people who have MS and that was not their experience either. So I'm kind of, uh, I, I don't know why that happened, but, um, I had a, I had the, the spinal tap. Did you have any complications yeah. with that? E yes. Uh, the dural leak, which basically, uh, it's like that little hole in your spine. It's like, you, it feels like your brain's being, trying to be sucked through that hole. Oh my like gosh. it was the, it was the worst headache I have ever had in my life. I called the doctor back like a couple days after it was happening and they suggested that I get a blood patch, but then they decided they weren't going to do that. And they told me to drink caffeine and that actually did help. Fascinating. But uh, what a horrible experience. When I moved from Seattle and uh, moved to Boise, I, I got a new neurologist and they, they had trouble getting the results of my spinal tap. And so they're like, Oh, we'll just do another one. And I was like, no. we're not going to, I was like, we're not going to do that. I was like, we're just not going to do that ever again. Like not everybody has, it's actually uh, more rare to have that dural leak, but uh, sure. I got lucky, I guess, you know, the dice got rolled and of course, here I am. Of course you did. So winner, winner. Yeah. That, uh, that neurologist who diagnosed me um, didn't have great bedside manner in the diagnosis either. She was like, you have MS. And she's like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, well, I, I'm an audio engineer. I do freelance work. And she's like, she's like, Oh, is that something you like? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, you're going to have to give up all your dreams and just get a government job that has good insurance. What? Yeah. I was like, what the, uh, like, I did not know how to react to that. That was very frustrating. Who is so, she to know and understand? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that was my diagnosis. And then I'm so or, sorry. Sorry. I mean, it's okay. Like I, when people say things like that to me, I don't, it was like, it was shocking, but like, I don't take their word as like the truth, you know? Sure. So did you um, seek a second opinion? I didn't seek a second opinion. Um, all my symptoms up to that point had gotten like really bad. So, and then everything I read about MS, it, I assumed that the opinion was correct. And so I was just, I basically, she wanted to start me on drugs. She actually wanted to start me on Ocrevus, but I, uh, I, I wanted to do something less intense. So she, uh, did Capaxone. Those are very significantly different. 
Like, yes, they are. This is they are. a pretty strong frontline treatment. Yeah. So she left it up to me. She's like, do you want to do the, the light thing or the heavy thing? And I was like, well, I want to do the light thing. I don't like taking medicine in general. So, uh, like, my body reacts, has reacted weird to things in the past. So I didn't want to take anything. So I decided to go with the Capaxone. Yeah. And so how did you deal with it? I did okay. Um, the injections were hard because I had like a few limited spots on my body. I'm like fairly skinny. So I didn't, I had to like, yeah, just pick the spots that I could actually do the, that style of injection. And like, I don't mind needles, but, uh, it was tricky. Then I ended up seeing a, a new neurologist cause that office that I like was diagnosed at, they were like every appointment that I had was like an hour to two hours late at times. Like I'd show up and I have to wait around for that long. It was very Terrible. frustrating. So I found another office and the uh, doctor convinced me that Copaxone wasn't doing anything. So he wanted me to either do like Ocrevus or uh, Jelenia. And I opted to go with uh, the Jelenia. And so how did that work out for you? Oh, Jelenia is the worst thing I've ever <laughs> taken in my life. It made me so sick all the time. Yeah, like I I would take the Jelenia and then I basically felt like I had the flu all night. Mm. Like and that was like consistent. It was it was pretty frustrating. Well, and so did they so, do any kind of blood work to see like where your MS was active with say attacking your T cells or B cells? They didn't. I actually didn't know about that. Uh, until like recently, it was actually, I was on one of the, uh, HSCT warrior, like zoom calls is when I heard about the T and the B cells. Right. I yeah. was like, that is fascinating. It is fascinating. And why don't, why don't we pay more attention to that? Right. When prescribing the drug, because I would think that would inform the efficacy regardless of side effects. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. The only test they did for, uh, Ocrevus, uh, was something like called, I can't remember what the test was actually. It was like PLM. The JC virus antibody. The JC, yeah. 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 That one. Yeah. I may have butchered because the acronym. Your, but. Well, yeah. Well, it's the, your risk of PM developing PML. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I was at risk for it. So that's why we couldn't do Ocrevus or the other one, uh, Tyberacy. Tysabri. Mm hmm. Tysabri. Uh, yeah. Like, again, I'm bad with it's the names all, here, but it's all good. But yeah, uh, so I went with uh, the Jelenia, and that was actually really, really bad. In and terms of side effects, right? And so did you... Side effects and cost, honestly. That is, mm. that is a crazy expensive drug. How, like, how much I, was it costing you? So it was costing me because... So I had been working at Amazon, and I had quit before I was diagnosed, but I kept the Cobra insurance because it was so good. And with that, it was like $25 a month which wasn't bad. But then when I had to, when that Cobra in, was going to end the insurance, like the independent plan for that, the drug would have cost $2,500 a month after insurance. Mm. Um, wow. And I, I, most people don't have that kind of money sitting around. Definitely not me. Yeah. I mean, the cost of the drug, if you didn't have any insurance, it was like $9,800 a month. Lovely. Yeah. So it's like, it's basically the the double edged sword of having MS is that in order to take some of the drugs, 
you have to have insurance, but in order to have insurance that actually covers it in a reasonable way, you have to have a job, but MS makes it so you can't work at times. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a bad system. Double-edged sword is a great way to describe it. Yeah. So that doctor uh, put me on Jelenia. He was really pushy about it. Uh, Come to find out that he actually got a lot of money from Novartis who makes Jelenia. So that was frustrating, but... Yeah, I mean, that's whatever. A thing too. Yeah, because like a lot of the the doctors seem to be in the pockets of the pharmaceutical companies, like with MS specifically. Well, it's interesting, especially when you go back to looking at, say, your your blood, right, and and where your disease is most active or attacking you, and which drug might interact the best with your body and your experience with the disease, right? Because we're all unique. Yeah. And so you just exactly. think there'd be more science behind that that prescription, if you will. Um, so how long did you end up taking Tice or Jelenia? And like, what were your MRIs showing? So I took Jelenia for about, I would say, a year and three months. And I but I was still having uh, like lesions were enhancing. I had one new one during the time I was taking it and, uh, and I was just feeling sick all the time. So it didn't feel worth it. Sure. And then, so one day after I, uh, I'd moved back to Boise, I was at work and I like had a, like, for whatever reason, I had a really bad reaction to the delenia. I was just like, I was super sick and I had to leave work. So I went home and I was crazy sick. I was super frustrated. I was really discouraged. And I was like, just like looking on, uh, there was a Jelenia Facebook group and I was just like looking on it. And some woman who had had HSET had posted about it on Jelenia saying, I used to take this, I did this. And I think this is a better treatment method than the Jelenia. And so they quickly deleted her post. But before that, I got a hold of her and like had spoken to her about her experience. And I was like, what is this? And then so I basically spent like the next few months researching HSCT. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the first time since I had MS that I saw like a glimmer of hope because like it just seemed to be getting like consistently worse. And that was really hard to deal with. So I yeah, I felt good about like finding this. It gave me some hope and I did a bunch of research. And then I actually uh, I emailed Clinica Ruiz in uh, Pueblo, Mexico, and I spoke with somebody there like five times, like just pages of questions. Well, sure. Of course you would have questions. And so, wow, so much to unpack there, right? So, yeah, like even just encountering HSCT in a Facebook group, like how did that feel? And good for you for getting in touch with this person and continuing your research, even if suddenly you aren't gaining access. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was very excited when I felt about it. I was like, I'm very skeptical person. So I was like, I was like, what is this? Like, I was like, is this even a thing? And then then to see her post deleted, like who's controlling that message. Yeah, exactly. That actually kind of spoke, uh, depths to me about like why was that deleted like i didn't understand that like i was like was this somebody from who makes jelenia who deleted i don't know it was it was weird so um but i talked with her i talked with the clinic and then i actually uh joined a couple of 
uh, the HSET groups for people who haven't done it, who are trying to learn about it. And there was a few people who had posted that they had done it. And so I reached out to like 10 people and spoke to all of them. That's awesome. And so but, how many of them had like gone to Mexico or even pursued HSCT in the States? Everybody I spoke to, uh, two of them uh, had gone to Moscow and then the rest, uh, Mexico. So nobody had actually done it in the States because it wasn't being offered in the States, except like uh, with Dr. Burt's like trials, but then those stopped. Right. And so it's great that you were able to connect with these folks. And how quickly did you come to the decision to pursue HSCT after speaking with everyone? And, and then why Mexico? So it took me about four months to come to the decision. And I chose Mexico because it was the closest, like, after having talked with everybody about like what it was like to travel home and everything, I was like, I probably want, I don't want an overseas trip to Russia. Sure. Like I wasn't against going to Russia, but um, I did not want that long flight if I was feeling bad. Yeah. That is something to consider for sure. And so, so yeah, mine and, and like my flight back was, you know, it was seven hours, including layovers, but it, that's not that bad comparatively, you know? Sure. How did it go flying home? It actually went pretty good. Um, so, like, I did it in October of uh, 2020 last year. And so it was when COVID was a thing. So it was, like, hyper-restricted. Sure. And then uh, I had to be very careful because, you know, you don't have an immune system afterwards. Um, so, but... Uh, and this is going to be kind of dark, but the, uh, the plus side to having the chemo, my hair was like, like I'd shaved my head, but it had kind of grown back and it was patchy and weird. So I kind of looked sickly. So people stayed away from me. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So for what it's worth, you know, well, I, yeah, that is I appreciated a good thing. that. Yeah. Were you hyper paranoid anyway, just with COVID? Yeah, I was. And I was, I was honestly just more paranoid about like the general airport germs having no immune system. Mm hmm. Um, and then like with COVID on top of that, I was like, I was like, I gotta be paranoid. And, uh, but I like, it, it was fine. I, you know, wore a mask. Actually the, uh, the clinic in Mexico gave us a hat with like a visor that came down. Oh, fascinating. As well. Yeah. When we first, uh, got to the airport and they picked us up because I flew into Mexico city they picked us up and they give you those hats with like the visor. So it's like a mask and a hat with a visor. So nice. Yeah. Um, I have glasses. And so uh, a mask already fogged it up. So you throw that visor on. Right. My gosh. So, but whatever. But yeah, had a hard flying time back was, yeah. Flying back was good. I had uh, took somebody's advice and got the wheelchair service, which I recommend to anybody like coming back from that. Get the wheelchair service from your from your airline. Sure. It makes it so much easier to navigate the airport. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like, so I use a cane, but like when I was in Mexico, like some of the days, like I couldn't walk. I just straight up couldn't walk. So like I had to use a wheelchair and like from the procedure and just like all the stuff your body's going through. And like stress. Yeah. It, yeah. All of it. Like my body, my legs were just like, yeah, we we don't really want to work very good today. So I had the wheelchair there for like half the days and then coming Flying back, I had the wheelchair service, and that was, like, the best thing that I could have done. They help you be more efficient, too, right? And 
Although I'm yeah. always surprised when I'm in the chair and I'm being pushed, even with the airport employees, like the, the number of people who are just so unaware that anyone's down there, right? Like, I feel like people just don't even pay attention. Yeah, they don't. It, yeah, the uh, so it was kind of funny when I uh, was at the airport being pushed in the wheelchair. It was like a young kid who was who'd gotten two people off the flight in a wheelchair. And so he was like he was a small kid who's maybe 115 pounds tops. And he had to push two two people in a wheelchair. Like he had to push two wheelchairs. And that was really awkward and weird. So my uh, my mom, who was with me, she was like, I'll just take his chair. Yeah, I've been double pushed as well. And it's an interesting experience. It is definitely awkward. Uh, just on the side note, like you're saying, like when you're in the chair and like, I mean, even with a cane, people basically like don't see you at all. They'll bump into you. It's like it's like some, for some reason, the disability creates an invisibility. shield. Yes. It's fascinating, right? Yes, very much so. And it's amazing to just experience and witness, especially when it's not your full-time experience. Um, yeah. That heightened yeah, awareness it, of like other people's experience with disability or assistive devices is so uninformed and unaware. It is. the uh, And the other biggest thing is, so I have a, a disabled placard. And so I, when I parked in disabled spots, the amount of times I've been harassed by people yes. is, it's insane. Like, it, it's astonishing and, and so unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. Like, like people will like, I remember this one woman was knocking on my car window and I like rolled it down and I was like, and she was like, you can't park here. And I'm like, oh, why? Wow. She's like, she's like, you're not disabled. And this was in uh, Washington where I have, they have the disabled placard and then you have a card as well that has your name on it. So like, it's easier to verify if needed. And she was like, she's like, you can't park here. I was like, look, I got a card. I got a placard. I don't know what to tell you. And she's like, well, you don't look disabled. And that's like that common thing that happens with disabled oh, people. Yeah. I was like, but I am. I was like, walking is really hard. And she's like, and I got out of the car, with the cane. And she's like, that's just fake. And I'm like, I was like, I don't know why wow. you care so much. First of all, second of all, get out of my face. Wow. I'm so sorry that happened. It's okay. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I've cut, like it used to bother me, but I kind of, I kind of uh, just let it go now. Well, it's one of those lessons that took me a long time to learn, right? I mean, I'm still learning and practicing that letting go of that judgment because, yeah, I mean, I look relatively young, and when I pull into a parking space, until they actually see me start to walk, I get those judgment eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating, like how quickly people go there. But again, whatever, like, I mean, they're already in that mindset. So they don't have any like desire or ability to understand anyway. Right. For sure. Well, I mean, if only they did. <laughs> if, right. I mean, if, yes, if, if they did, that would be great, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath. So sure. And for the people who do express kindness, I'm ever grateful. Yes. That is also very nice. Uh, yeah, I've had a variety of strangers uh, be very kind to me, like in public, and it's been been great. Actually, uh, one time I was uh, I was grocery shopping and I was carrying out my stuff and my hand just stopped working, so I dropped it and I Ugh. I had a like a jar of pickles or something and it shattered. And this guy stopped and he was like he like he cleaned it up for me and then he was like 
you wait here, I'll be right back. And I'm like, okay. So I like, I waited and then he came back and he had actually bought me another jar. And I was like, oh, that was wow. really nice. You didn't, I was, I was like, you didn't have to do that. Thank you. I appreciate it. But you didn't have to do that. That's amazing. So, yeah. So it exists like where there are people that are uh, not cool. There are also people that are very nice and kind. So, yes, yes, indeed. And sometimes making it a little awkward. But I think that's good for people to hear, especially when they're newly diagnosed. Right. And trying to figure out like just even what to expect in the social. Yeah, exactly. Realm. Everything's awkward these days anyway, thanks to COVID, but yeah, it's, it's extra awkward, but you know, well, now I appreciate yeah. you sharing that because it's, um, not something people always talk about or even think about, like I said, for those newly diagnosed, that that's something to even learn to navigate. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely been an interesting, uh, thing to navigate. Thank you for sharing. And I'm curious to know why it was important for you then to share your story on the podcast. So it was important for me to share my story because I basically like the MS diagnosis left me feeling really, really bad and kind of hopeless. And then all the subsequent things that like followed, like, you know, with the drug reactions and like that doctor telling me to like give up my dreams and everything. Terrible. Yeah, that was all really discouraging. And I basically thought that I was just going to get worse and worse until I like couldn't function at all. And that was actually really, that was really hard. I went through a really like dark time after the diagnosis with it. Like I even like, like went as dark as being like, well, there's no other way out. So, you know, like uh, doing something that I mm. don't actually want to do. Sure. And so like, and then when I read about HSCT, I got, I got some hope. And then I honestly just, I, I wanted to, to share my story so that other people could basically like hear that there is a thing that uh, could help them. And there's also like a lot, like there's not a lot of information available about it. Like it, it seems hard to find that information. So I wanted to share to like to share the info, share my experience, like what I learned so that people like, you know, had more info because there's constantly questions on like the, you know, those like HSCT Facebook groups. People are just asking stuff like people are either skeptical, they're afraid or they just like simply just want to know. And there often doesn't seem to be great answers like and when I say great answers, I mean, no answers, you know? Mm. Well, especially when you ask your doctor about it, did you ask your neurologist about it once you found it? Uh, yes. Um, so I was still seeing that same neurologist in Seattle, um, after I'd moved to Boise and then, but I flew there to have an appointment with him cause I hadn't found a neurologist in Boise yet. And I asked him what he thought about HSCT and he looked at me and he looked angry and he was like, I wouldn't even let my dog get HSCT. What? And I was like, I was like, and then for some reason I was like, do you have a dog? And he's like, no. And I was like, then you can't say stupid things like that. <laughs> wow. And yeah, he was basically, he had the reaction that a lot of people's neurologists had where he was like, well, you're going to come home in a coffin sort of thing, you know, mm. which was just, I was like, oh, why do you have those feelings and he's like i just don't think it works i'm like why and he he just couldn't tell me an actual reason why mm. he just 
he he was just like saying like you know when like when like a parent tells a kid like don't do this and they're like why because i'm the parent that's not actually a good reason correct they you need a reason like a reason that will help you like like a kid needs a reason that will help them understand why they should misbehave in the same way that the doctor should have a reason for that and he just wouldn't answer he was a, he was visibly angry and refused to He's like, well, if you go, I'm going to quit being your doctor. And I was like, well, I'll do you a solid. And I, I was like, how about we just call it good down? Mm, like, I'm done. Right. I'm done with you. Wow. So how did that feel? Uh, that felt that felt good. I felt like a little like, oh, what have I done? Because he's a he's like a, he's a good neurologist. But uh, that reaction just uh, soured me completely. Sure. Well, Seattle has an HSCT program. The extent to which it's up and running, I'm not sure, but. I mean, did you look into that at all? I did. It was a lot of money. Like the the qualifications to to be part of that program were like really strict, and I don't think I would have made it. Sure. Not to say that 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 program would be a bad program. I just it just it seemed really hard to get into, and I was like stressed out, and I was and I decided to make a uh, like a move to another city to be near my family. So it was. I was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to do it in Seattle. Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to do it in Seattle. So, uh, and that was actually after I'd already moved back anyway. So I was just like, yeah, I just don't want to deal with it. I was kind of over Seattle to be honest. Sounds like it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why I want to share my story. I just want it to be like an open and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people actually who have wanted to like know more about HSCT and like how my reaction was and just everything with that so and that's been nice that, that, that's all i've really wanted to give back yeah to give back like it, at the end of the day like i was like i was lucky to be able to do it and i'm i'm, I'm grateful for it and so like i want to be a source of information for people who are also considering it that's amazing thank you for doing that yeah we're gonna recruit you as a volunteer now <laughs> I, I mean recruit away with HSCT warriors. Well, and like, we're always looking to expand our board because we're just like really this grassroots nonprofit, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people go through HSCT and they come out with this like renewed sense of hope, right? And like living life and making the most of it and being so grateful for their experience with HSCT and they want to do everything they can, right? To shout it from the rooftops. And that's yeah. not an uncommon experience. And then I think people get years into recovery and they have the same feeling about HSCT, but life catches up, right? Or you get busy in, in, in getting on with life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a very, it's a very uh, good experience to go through and then come out on the other end of and like have that information to share. Yeah. So tell us about it. How was your experience in Puebla at Clinica Ruiz? So it was actually really good. I, like I'd had a variety of people like doctors and stuff tell me like, don't go to Mexico to, you know, like just cliche things like that. Sure. But they were actually like really good. I honestly, I was impressed with the quality of their, of their medical care. They were very organized and I did okay overall with it. Like I had, so they do four rounds of chemo during that. And my second round of chemo was by far the least fun. But that being said, like, I knew this wasn't going to be like a beach vacation, right? Sure. I knew there was some stuff that was going to be rough. And like the chemo was by far my least favorite part. But there are ways to to help that. Like I brought some peppermint oil, 
like and would smell that during the the treatment um drinking like the three to four liters of water a day is is very important sure like that 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 helped a lot like i had to use the restroom a lot but it like at the end of the day whatever well that's the point right yeah (laughs) exactly like flush this out flush it out yeah like it was it was pretty uh the further away i got from chemo the better i felt so like because like they do two rounds of chemo then what they do is they put in that uh that that central line like where they harvest the stem cells Mm. and then they give them back to you and then like i think the uh the day they give them back to you i believe i can't remember if it was the day they harvested them or the day they gave them back to you they do that's when you do your second two rounds of chemo and those weren't nearly as bad as the first two for me sure did you have any kind of special diet or any other tips to help alleviate the bad other than drinking water Water was really good. And honestly, the one thing that made me feel better in this may or may not be healthy, but was like Lay's potato chips. Those that made <laughs> me feel better. Like, I think it was the salt. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I ate a lot of bananas, too. Mm, yeah. That helped. Like bananas are a good food for your, if your stomach's upset anyway. Right. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, and avocados help. I know like I was receiving a potassium supplement. And as soon as I started eating avocados and bananas, it came right back to where it needed to be. Yeah. So I was, yeah, like chips, bananas and water were basically my diet for like a week there. And sure. I, I was fine with that. But yeah, the, like but in general, all the treatment was really good. I was thoroughly impressed with uh, the clinic. So how'd you do with the Neupogen shots and bone pain? And did you move around a lot? Like, were you able to walk around in Puebla with COVID going on? Or were you pretty much sedentary in your room? Uh, well, we, so, uh, Pueblo has a rooftop. We were allowed to be on the roof, which was very nice. Um, so we weren't allowed to go to the city. Um, I did have a lot of bone pain. I had even read that like taking, uh, that allergy medicine Claritin beforehand Mm -hmm. and like throughout would help with the bone pain. It didn't. Um, I had horrific spine, like lower back pain. Like it was just like a deep aching pain, but the clinic had, did have drugs that they gave me that helped. But yeah, the bone pain was not fun. But every time I would get frustrated with it, I was like, I I was like, I knew this wasn't going to be fun. So, right. This is just part of it. Yeah. So the best part about the rooftop at Clinica Ruiz in Puebla was that you could sit up there and like get to know other patients from all over the world. That was very nice. So how many? I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. There wasn't. I can't remember the number. Like, I know, like, I was told that we were one of the bigger groups since COVID had happened, because originally I was supposed to go in May of 2020, and then COVID hit, and then it uh, they postponed mine. And so that's when I ended up going in uh, October 2020. And I know there had been, like, two groups, two months, because the, the, they do month to month. The groups uh, that were, like, you know, behind me, they, like, they were much smaller. I think they... Uh, somebody at the clinic told me that ours was bigger than before. And I honestly don't, I'm not good with numbers like that. Like, like maybe 18 people. I'm not entirely sure. Sure. Still but, a good number. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to wait that long after I've been, how did it feel to even hear that you were postponed? It was a little discouraging, but it was okay. I had actually, so that job that I had moved to Boise from, I had been, I was laid off at the end of January, not because of COVID, just, I was just laid off. 
And so I was like bummed out from that. And then three weeks later, I heard about the not being able to go in May. And I was just like, oh, man. But it was fine. That's tough, though. It was tough. I was a little discouraged. But once they got back to me and they had like a date for that October 2020, I was like, well, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Sure. So were you still on Jelenia at this time? I was, yeah. I I stopped taking Jelenia at the end of June last year. For like washout prior to HSCT? Yeah. And for me, what I, I, I talked to my neurologist that I have here, and she basically was like, you know, she's like, you shouldn't have a reaction coming off of it. But, uh, but like, if you want to, you can wean off. So I did that. So I just like, I lessened, I lessened my dose really slowly, like over a period of three months. Sure. But it also makes me anyway, question that advice. Like you're the medical professional. Shouldn't you be informing my decision about how I stop taking this medication? Yes. There seem to be a lot of different opinions about how you should stop taking Jelenia. So I just decided to go with the safer bet just to wean off. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But like, even when we're diagnosed, right, at least in my experience, I was handed three or four boxes and told, you go home and read up on all this literature and you just tell me which drug you want to try. And so like, it sounds like a similar situation where you're saying, I want to be off this medication. What's the safest way to go? And they're like, well, you could do this or you could do that. It's your choice. Yeah. And it's like, but you're the medical professional. You should be telling me what your opinion is based on my situation. It, yeah. It's it's really baffling how uh, how poor doctors seem to be at, like, giving the advice that they you know, should be giving you. It's, it's really baffling. It's just, Um, it seems to be a common experience. And it's so unfortunate in terms of growing up and always following doctor's orders, right? Like you're, you're only doing your best as, as we're encultured and, and kind of grown to understand and approach life as a human in this country, right? We follow doctor's orders. Yeah. No, like, honestly, my experience with MS has uh, led me to being very skeptical of any kind of doctor, not even just neurologist, because like they just like they say things to you that you're like, is that actually real? Or they like they make these big statements at you where like it doesn't seem to be grounded in any truth. It's just more like their their personal opinion or emotion. And it doesn't seem like you get very uh, good care if somebody's coming at you from that mindset, you know? Yeah. Well, it certainly is advantageous to become your own self-advocate and ask the questions and to be more inquisitive if you're feeling a doctor's opinion as such. Well, this really feels like it's coming from an emotional standpoint or an opinion-based, like not evidence-based, but opinion-based. It's Yeah. It's just so important to keep asking your own questions. And so kudos to you for doing all your research. Thank you. Yeah. So I had a handful of different doctors, like general practice doctors, that neurologist I had that told me that I like the going there was going to be stupid, that I would come home in a coffin sort of thing. Right. Like just which I think is a really uh, lame thing to say to someone. I'll say uninformed. 
Yeah, it's just like it's really uninformed, and they they would say that, but then they wouldn't have any like fact to base that up. That was right. just their opinion because like they it seems that like a lot of people in the states in other places too, but like they like treat like going to Mexico for medical care like it's like a bad thing. I was like, their healthcare was like their the care that I received from the doctors was really good. Like, and I would almost say better than some of the places I've received care from in the States. Mm. Like it was, it was good. And to like say that. And so like I had one doctor tell me that, uh, before I, so I actually developed, um, a new strategy for doctors and I'll go back to what I was saying in a sec, but like my strategy for my, my strategy for doctors was that, that I was like meeting up with like, so I, I got a hematologist, uh, general practitioner and then my neurologist all like for when I came home and, but I told them all what I was doing. And I was like, if you disagree with this or think that it's a bad idea, tell me now, because I don't want to use you as a provider. If you think that this is a dumb thing that you're not going to help me because of it. Sure. So I had one doctor who was like, yeah, I'm not into it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, uh, see you later. And then I found another one who like, who believed in it and, not even when I say believed in it, believed in like supporting me, even though they didn't understand this thing. Like two of my doctors have actually been like learning about HSCT because of this. Me too. But, yeah. That's uh, you want to find someone who's willing to work with you. Yeah, exactly. Like if it, if your doctor's against you, it's an uphill battle. And so like, if you can, I think that finding a doctor who, even if they don't fully understand it, who is on board to take care of you. Cause isn't that what a doctor is supposed to do is take care of you. Um, call me crazy, but I won't. But so the, uh, other, that one doctor I was telling you about earlier, like that I ended up, you know, telling, say no to, they told me that I was going to come home in a coffin too. And I was like, well, I was like, I would rather die trying than always wondering, which is an extreme thing to say, but that's like what I said to them. Cause I was like, I was like, you don't have, you don't have MS. Like you don't understand how like important this is to try this. And I don't think I'm going to die. Like, I don't think I'm going to die. I was like, I was like, that's kind of an ignorant thing to say. And I always felt as though I had to give it a shot because even if it didn't work, well then the drugs would be there for me on the flip side. Right. Like, yeah, I can take that route once I figure out if this is going to work. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's being your own advocate is, I think, the most important thing when it comes to having uh, a disease that doesn't have a lot that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like MS is kind of chaos. Like it affects everyone different. There's like four variations of MS and like no one person has it the exact same as another person. It's chaos. So like, I think it's good to be your own advocate. So what about any doubts? Like, did you then have doubts about going even with these doctors telling you or sharing their opinions and doubts? Did it influence I, you to have doubts? It, it influenced me a little bit. I was more just like in general, I'm, I would say I'm a leery person of almost anything. And so like, I was like the closer I got to, going, I was like, Oh, I'm freaked out. What have I done? Sort of thing. But it's, it, that was just for me. That was the fear of the unknown. Right. Well, it is that unknown and uncertainty. And I think a lot of people get to that same place. At least I definitely felt a sense of almost desperation. 
to go and just try to halt the progression of this evil disease? Yeah, for me, I, I had to come to terms with the fact that like I was going to halt the progression of the disease. It wasn't like I was just hitting the stop button and stopping a race thing. It like, it was just to halt the progression of the disease um, in a way that no drugs could. And, and I would, but yeah, like even knowing that I was still, I was still nervous. I was like, man, I'm going to Mexico for a month to get this healthcare. I was like, on paper, this seems, uh, this seems intense. For sure. Yeah. And it's okay to be freaked out. Yes. Being freaked out does like a lot of people associate being scared of anything with like like that's a bad thing. It's not. It's actually good to be scared. I actually uh yeah. It, like people don't get scared about stuff like that, like then it's like, why aren't you scared? sort of thing, you know? Sure. Well, it helps us actually experience everything and even grow from it. It does. Yeah. Like I like to deal with things like as they come like in like even specifically like in regards to fear so i was like why am i afraid what am i afraid of like i made list about like what i was freaked out about like and then like what i could do to help alleviate that that's a really good strategy and so and, and for me at the end of the day like one of the biggest things that helps alleviate fear is like knowledge and that's why i talk to so many people and talk to the clinic as much as I did, like even up to like a week before I left, I was still talking to people just so I could like understand, like, you know, even down to like, what should, what are things that helped you when you were like, you know, going through this experience, like, you know, like heating pads and like, or whatever. Right. Yes. Electric blanket. I wrapped it around my body. So I didn't do the heating pad or the electric blanket because um, I run abnormally warm all the time. So, uh, but like, I, like I learned about like, you know, there's certain like, uh, like heart, you can get heartburn from the chemo. Yeah. And like, yeah. Did you get that? Um, I think as, because I experienced heartburn during pregnancy and I knew that almonds were a real quick relief. I, um, avoided the heartburn. I mean, I could feel it coming on for sure. I got the wasabi nose. Definitely had horrendous nausea. Yeah, that was uh, that was not fun. I yeah, I used uh, peppermint oil for that. I just kept telling myself like this too shall pass. This is part of it, kind of like you did. Yeah, exactly. It was just like I was like, this is not fun, but uh, you gotta you gotta you know you gotta go through the fire sometimes. Sure. Well, and thanks for sharing your fire with us because it's I hope helpful for others to hear your story, your experiences, your strategies, um, and your insights. So thanks again for sharing those. What about a uh, superpower you gained from your experience with HSCT? Honestly, like a superpower that I feel like I gained from it was that things that used to seem much more scary to me, like don't anymore. Like, like in regards to like my to my health and like, I don't feel overwhelmed anymore. Mm, that must in be the nice. past. Yeah. What does that feel like? It just feels good. Like in the past, like I'd be like, Oh, you got to go to this doctor, like to see like for whatever reason. And like, I would like the, the week leading up to it, I would start to dread it and get like freaked out. But I was like, no, I was like, I don't need to get freaked out anymore. I was like, after doing the HSCT, I was like, any appointment afterwards is is fine. Like I already did this other thing. Like this will be fine. Like it just changed my perspective, I guess, about 
medical treatment in general. Mm. Like it's not a, like none of it's as scary as we make it out to be. That's true, right? That um, and that helps alleviate some anxiety for future future experiences, knowing that yeah, we've been through this really big thing, this pretty big deal. It's a huge experience to go through, certainly transformational in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uh, I'm really glad that I that I did it. It was uh, I have zero regrets about it. So, how is recovery going? Recovery has been going pretty good. I was having really bad cognitive uh, decline last summer. Like I couldn't think at all. And since I've come back, I can think clearly again. I'm working again. I, I can focus. I, and I have a memory again, which was like one of the most frustrating things for me with MS is that I couldn't remember something I was doing like two minutes prior. Aren't those lesions great? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I was so happy when that came back. Like, like I still have problems with my legs. Like some days are better than others. And I don't use my cane like a hundred percent of the time now, like maybe like 80%, but I would, I'm so glad that my like ability to think came back. I would rather have my brain than my legs any Mm, day. Sure. I think I've said the same thing a couple of times. Yeah. No, it's not being able to think versus not being able to walk or like not even comparable to me. Like one's way worse than the other and not being able to think is definitely was worse for me. So like the fact that I can think again has been very uh, encouraging. That's fantastic. Of course, we go into HSCT not expecting anything to improve, right? Yeah. And that was actually really important for me is like I went into it not like knowing that, you know, if anything improves, it's that like your disease like is halted and that is it. Like I didn't expect anything afterwards. So and I think that expectations are important. And like I know some people who did HSCT that had it has that have had MS for like 30 plus years and they had a hard time afterwards. And so they said it didn't work, but it's like, maybe it did work. You just didn't get everything. You just didn't get back what you expected to get back. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that some people do make significant gains and that's fantastic, but it doesn't happen for everyone. It doesn't. And like, you know, like some people from my group are having still not having excellent results it sounds like and so i feel bad sharing my successes with them but i still i still do just because like it's it's good to still like to just be open and talk about stuff right well yeah because everyone's experience is important it is but yeah like for me the most important thing was to not have expectations going into it of anything more than disease being halted it's a tough one to um accept and hold right and not have that inkling of hope. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really hard to like, cause I think that MS push it pushes a lot of people to feel kind of hopeless in a lot of ways. And so it's hard to not get like that hope that everything's going to, going to go away. Right. Sure. Sure. There's a huge mental aspect of MS that a lot of people don't talk about. They don't. It's interesting. I actually used to have a fairly bad attitude in general about things, but like somehow MS has made me have like a better outlook. And that is, and that, and that fascinates me. And I don't know entirely what that's about. Something to continue exploring. I mean, right. It's yeah. It's just, it's just fascinating. I'm just like, I, I thought that if like, you know, experiencing something like this, I was like, 
I was worried when I was younger that if I ever experienced anything health wise, I was like, oh man, I'm going to be uh, miserable. But then when it did happen, I didn't go that direction. And that just fast, like, again, it wasn't like, oh, I just went in a different direction than I expected. Like anything ever happened health wise. So it's fascinating. Definitely fascinating. I appreciate you sharing so much with us. What are you um, grateful for about your experience with HSCT that's gone unspoken? I'm honestly grateful for the people that have supported me throughout this. I don't tell them enough, but I definitely like am grateful for like the support that I've received from people like, you know, family members, uh, my partner, and then like the new friends that I met as well, you know, and old friends. People have been very supportive and, and, and that's been very encouraging. Support networks are so important. Yeah. Like, I mean, even like this, this, uh, like the HSCT warriors, like that is good. Like that was good to like meet those people like from the, uh, who are a part of this group, you know? Oh, the social experience once a month that we do. Yeah. It's neat to see who shows up and just be in community with people who have gone through HSCT. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, just like talking to people who have MS is like, it's nice because they're the only people who understand what you're talking about completely. Right. Sure. Even though we're all so different in our experience, we share so many commonalities. Yeah. I think that the, like the main commonality is that like, we don't feel super understood when we're talking to people who don't have MS. Like, I think that is like very important, like to be, to be understood is like one of the, like the more healing things that I think exists. Well, it's a common human thing, right? I mean, everyone just wants to be heard. Yeah. And like when you're heard by people who actually understand this thing that is hard to understand, uh, that is nice. It's a good connection to have. It is. And good to be connected with you. It's. I, I think it's important to have people discuss their experience to like relieve other people's anxieties. Yeah. That's very important. I'm so um, glad you found people that you were able to connect with and have those conversations. Yeah. You actually uh, talked to somebody who was in my group on your podcast. So it's, uh, that's cool that uh, like people are finding, finding the HSCT warriors. Yeah. Well, and of course we'd love your help as a volunteer. So yeah. No, I'm more than happy to help however you need. Like I said, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's that whole, like, again, moving on with life, right? And living your new life post-HSCT now that you're not feeling so lousy. Yeah. We want to make space for everyone to just show up as they can without a lot of pressure or expectation. Yes, that is uh, very important. So is there anything else that you might offer to others based on your experience with HSCT that just might help inform their approach or their, the questions that they ask? I mean, I, I think just be open because HSCT is a thing that isn't commonly talked about. Like, I think that it's important to like get informed, like, you know, speaking to people who have had it done, but like be open to the answers because they are not the answers that typical medical professionals give. Tell me more about that. So a person talking about experience, like their experience doing HSCT versus a doctor who is against it for whatever reason, but they don't have any factual things to go by. Like 
I think that experience is more important than like textbook answers. Sure. And again, like a doctor telling you that you shouldn't do it with without any reason versus somebody who's actually done it, like that is really important. So I think that like just like seeking out people who uh, can give you like can give you answers. And honestly, like for me, I like to know everything I can about something like the good, the bad and the ugly. Like it's all important to know. I think that knowledge is ultimately power. Indeed. Agreed. So thank you for sharing your knowledge of power with us. You're welcome. It's super awesome to connect with you, Jacob. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story on the podcast. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope that I, uh, that my story can be helpful to people. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. John Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.